Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and today I'm excited to do an interview with my new friend, Marcus Schrader, who many of you may have seen on various news outlets. Uh, I heard about it on uh, Matt Walsh of The Daily Wire. Uh, I see that he's done interviews with Jeff Durbin and uh, uh, Founders Ministry and CBN. So he's been all over the place. Everyone has an opinion, and we're going to hear it from the horse's mouth. Marcus, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Real excited to have you. Everyone now has seen this iconic, I mean, it is like overnight iconic image of you with this t-shirt that is very appropriate to what is happening in your life where you're talking about taking a stand and even if you have to stand alone. And so, uh, Marcus, first of all, I just want to kind of know who you are and we're going to get to the stuff that everybody really wants to hear about in terms of the uh the the conflict and the arrest and all those sorts of things but real quick we talked a little bit about this before the show but um uh you know christians ought to be able to stand together across uh, denominational lines i think when um especially in issues in culture where we kind of need to pull together and obviously uh, we can differ on secondary issues but sometimes there are foundational issues that mean Hey, you're not an Orthodox Christian if you if you hold X or Y position. So, I, you know, there sometimes with videos that go viral or with street preachers, we, we don't really know. And uh, so what what would you say is your kind of background in the church? Yeah, so I was raised in a Christian family, uh, you know, typical evangelical kind of Baptist um, churches uh, or the kind of churches we went to and and. Um, I was homeschooled most of my life. I did speech and debate for a homeschool, Christian homeschool group, NCFCA, uh, throughout high school. Probably one of the greatest things that forms me for the work that I'm doing now. And then from there, I graduated. I go to the Institute of Public Theology with Founders Ministries and Tom Askell and Vody Bauckham that are there. And uh, I also go my, my local church up here in Wisconsin, Mercy Seat Christian Church with Pastor Matt Chuella and Jason Storms. Uh, you know, just faithful men of God who have been in this kind of uh, fight for decades, trying to bring the gospel into the darkest areas of the culture. Marcus, would you say then that like the church you attend and kind of the upbringing that you have would be consistent with, uh, and I know we said there there are doctrinal issues that, that maybe you still need to work out at some point, but would you say that that generally that the Founders Ministry, the uh, the institute that they have that you're a part of with people like Vody Bauckham and Tom Askell, would you say that, that that's kind of consistent with the sort of upbringing that you had? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Okay, great. Well, it, then, you know, we would, con we, we're brothers, we're you know, Orthodox Christianity here, so I'm really excited about that. So uh, what... What happened, Marcus? I mean, what the heck? What happened here? Uh, break down the event for us. Uh, my, well, let me let me put it this way. This is what I've picked up, and you tell me what the real story is. My understanding is that you were you went to a um, a drag event that was um, ha had a portion that was aimed at children toward the beginning. It was like a drag queen story hour, and then uh, after that, there was a more uh, I don't know. I'll let you speak to what happened after that. More of just a dance-related thing, and um, and that's where maybe I heard you say there's some suggestive things that were going on, and the police approached you and uh, seemed to tell you that the problem was your amplification, and you're arrested. So, like, what a lot of a lot of what I got, and I know a lot of what you've seen since I posted that we were going to do this interview, 
is people say, saying, oh my gosh, this there has to be another side to this. And then they come back to the comments and say, yeah, yeah, just like I thought. Uh, it's not Christianity. It's not anything to do with the Bible. Nobody's getting uh, brushed aside. It's just, it's just that the guy was violating a noise ordinance. I mean, come on, man. Um, speak to all of that. And maybe as you do, or maybe the best way to speak to that is to just tell the, the account as you experienced it. Yeah, so we were like what you said was all accurate about being at the drag queen event. They did a drag queen story hour that morning for a little bit of time. And then later that day, they had two dance hours uh, that they did with the children, like men dressed. Some of them were dressed in lingerie in very sexually suggestive outfits, dancing in sexual ways in front of three, four, five, six year old kids um, with, with the music playing from their amplification at this like this big stage in the middle of the park. And so they had a fenced in area around it. They had like a, a permit for that area. They kind of had like a little bit of a fair sort of setup where they had a few different booths with different pride um, uh, people, you know, who were running different booths for the kids and things like that. And then they had the big dance hour down at the stage. And so they had a fence around this whole area that they had a permit in the park for. But it's a large park. So there's still quite a bit of the park that is outside the fence. And then the public sidewalk and the parking lot, that's all outside the fence. And so I started um, reading from Galatians 5 on, and on my speaker. It was actually my friend's speaker, but on, on the speaker, on the sidewalk, outside the fence. And I was reading from Galatians 5, which, by the way, doesn't address homosexuality. It's just a passage about what true love is. You know, true love fulfills the law, you know, the law of God, essentially being the standard of, of love. And I was reading from that because so often in that community, the word love is thrown around. And it, once you divorce love from the ethic or once you divorce the ethic of love from scripture you can use it to justify anything you want and so they use that word love as a weapon to say you know if you disagree with us you're not supporting love you're a hater you're a bigot those kinds of things and so i was just reading from scripture this is what god has to say about love and the beginning of that video that has gone viral and been shown everywhere the beginning of that video was actually the beginning of me using amplification and that was also the first time that we used amplification all day it, we had not received any warnings. I had not received any warnings about using amplification. None of that, which that's been rumored around on some of those comments, because essentially, it, I, I think the reason for that is in the video, the officer's like, this is the same speaker as before. You've been warned. Um, and, and so people have kind of taken that and, you know, made their assumptions. Uh, so the wait, a minute, wait a minute, Marcus, I, I don't want to cut you off. But first of all, yeah. Um, why don't we go ahead and play that clip that is so famous now and uh, people can have an idea of, of what we're talking about here. So I'll go ahead and here's that now. You're now the word of the living and true God. For you, brother, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Hey, hey, what are you doing? What is the problem? You didn't give them any warning, you just grabbed the mic. Well, this is the same one that we had in here. Yeah, that was in there. It was not out here. What is wrong? They said we can have. We can, they said we can speak out here on the sidewalk freely. You can speak, but there's no air flag. Nobody told us that. What are you doing? How come there's no amplification? 
Hey, you guys are acting like hey, thugs, man. You're acting like straight, straight up thugs. Hey, you're, you're, you're taking away my hand. He has every right to be out here engaging in speech. He has every right to be out here engaging in speech. There's cars driving by with their radios playing. That's amplified sound. People are standing out here with radios. That's amplified sound. The ordinance has to do with a decibel gauge. You don't just get to pick and choose which amplification you like and which you don't. That's selective enforcement of the law. That's discrimination on the basis of speech. That's what you all just did. Content-based discrimination based on speech. Walk away. Because you know you just did wrong. You will lose that case and you will get sued. Because you just trampled on somebody's First Amendment rights. Okay, so obviously it uh, looks like a tense situation. And by the way, Marcus, I just want to say real quick, Jeff Durbin was giving you a hard time for the Waffle House shoes and uh, sandals. And I just want to say, I live in like the only city of any size that I've ever been to that doesn't have a Waffle House, not even like uh, a Huddle House, which we all know is a knockoff Waffle House. So I'm in full support of the Waffle House. Listen, I, I couldn't have been more proud to see those Waffle House sandals. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what the problem is with Jeff. <laughs> well, th well, thank you for uh, the support there. You know, I've, I've got some mixed reviews on those sandals. I've even had people who like them so much, they've contacted me like, where can I get a pair? So if you're wondering, anybody's wondering, I got them at Walmart. So, you, you know, uh, people argue about whether beauty is objective. Um, and I, I just want to say that, that the Waffle House logo is objective beauty. And so you can put that on anything and it's going to go. You want to wear a tuxedo? That's fine. So anyway, let's get back to to this issue. Right. And uh, so so you, we've just seen this clip and um, and you just said before we went to that clip, Marcus, and I really want people to understand this. Uh, or to hear this, at least to consider it. So you were told already, or you, you were, t the police talked to you already, but they just told you if you'll just, uh, you know, you need to go out of this area and go over there and then you'll be fine. They didn't say anything to you about the amp. Is that right? That part's right. Right. Yeah, that's right. So he mentions in that video, you know, this, the same speaker as before earlier that day, one of our guys was walking with the amplification in their fenced in area inside that little section that they had going on. He didn't have the amplification on. He wasn't using it. So they didn't give him a warning for that. They just said, hey, they have a permit for this area. You need to take this outside the fence. He said, okay. But this gave you the impression that this gives viewers of the video the impression when they hear that comment that, well, look, I mean, clearly he's already talked to these guys about the amplification because uh, because he's pointing out that, oh, here it is again. We've already seen this speaker. And, and you're trying to say, no, 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 they did talk to us or they talked to one of our guys, but it what but the issue was just go over there, right? Yes. Yep. And like, as my pastor, he was the guy recording the video uh, with some of his commentary in the background. Uh, as he mentioned to the officers, as they were arresting me, as you guys said, we could come out to the public sidewalk. So I'd actually received a warning earlier that day. They had taken me out of the park, said, you can't be inside the fenced in area. But then they explicitly told me, you're free to protest and do all that kind of thing as long as you're outside the fence on the sidewalk. So I said, okay, since, since that, since I had that conversation with the officers, I never once went back into the fenced in area. And then a few hours later, I grabbed my speaker, which was the first time we used it that day. Someone, some guy just had it in his hands and they said, you can't have that in the fenced in area, take it outside. Mm -hmm. So he did that. And so then I brought the speaker back, having been told that as long as we're outside the fence, that, 
you know, that was fine. And so I turned on the speaker and I started reading from Galatians 5. And like I said earlier, the beginning of that video was the beginning of me um, using the speaker. And so that our entire interaction with the police is right there on that video for everybody to see. So as you see in the video, the officer doesn't come up, doesn't give me any warning, doesn't talk to me about it. He just right away, without saying anything to me, just starts ripping the microphone out of my hand. And so that that's the video that... Um, that, that that officer has kind of been shown for showing that that kind of outlandish behavior, which I was I was very surprised at. You know, I was not expecting, you know, a cop to do that. Typically they come up and even if they have a problem with the speaker or the amplification, they will be like, hey, look, can you guys turn that down? It has to be a certain decibel level or you have to like take it to somewhere else, that kind of thing. No conversation. And as, as you mentioned, like pe people were talking about, well, he's not being arrested for reading the Bible. He's not being arrested for Christianity. He's being arrested for using amplification. It's a sound ordinance. What's interesting about that sound ordinance is on my actual citation, I'm charged with music amplification without permit. And so that's the, like, the official citation against me. And that code is all about, like, like, for instance, if I wanted to host some sort of rock concert or like a music band at the park, I would need a a permit a week beforehand issued to me from the city in order to do that. In regards to public speech, free speech, it's a completely different topic because the Supreme Court has actually ruled on this before. And they said that those kinds of music ordinances are an undue burden upon uh, our right to free speech and that oh, wow. those ordinances cannot apply to two protected classes of speech, and that's political speech and religious speech, which mine would classify as both. And so that was actually an ordinance that was to be used for something completely different, couldn't even be used for my political or religious speech. They had no right to tell me that I had to stop, let alone to charge me and arrest me. And so that that that's actually what that citation is meant for. It's not meant for um, free speech. And the reason that the Supreme Court ruled that is, well, first of all, the right to free speech assumes the right to be heard is essentially what they, they wrote in their, in their case. And the reason that we have the right to amplification is like the, the only thing you can do to restrict amplification as a city in regards to those two protected classes of speech is if it's in an unreasonable time, place, or manner. So if it's like one o'clock in the morning outside somebody's house, you know, that kind of thing, um, that, then they have the right to say, hey, look, you can't do that here and and give you a citation uh, in regard. But in the middle of the day, three o'clock in the afternoon in a, on a public park, in a public sidewalk, uh, you know, with a event going on and protesters that we were allowed to protest. It's our constitutional right to be there to protest. We had every right to be using amplification. They could not stop us from using amplification. And so um, not only was the arrest unlawful, the citation was unlawful, but even them even telling me that I couldn't use the speaker was unlawful. I had every right to continue to use that speaker for the rest of the day, and they had no uh, legal authority upon which to stop me. Hey, let me ask you this, Marcus. So uh, before we go on with with you explaining the arrest and being detained, so um, surely, like, that makes sense. Like, I'm listening to this. It makes sense. I love it when things in our culture and society make sense. It makes sense that I can't plug in a guitar amp and start playing Stairway to Heaven in front of your bedroom window, you know, in the middle of the night. That, that, that makes total sense. But even in places where we would expect that it's appropriate to, uh, to have a display like this or, uh, you know, to present and protest an event that's happening, uh, surely, though, like, there is some uh, level of amplification that's too much. My, my understanding from listening to you talk about this 
is that there's something to do with the decibel levels. I think you even mentioned that just now. Uh, were you all doing what you could to try and stay within the bounds of what is acceptable for these events in terms of that sound level? Yeah, so they don't have like a site or a code, a city code that like spells out a specific decibel level. And so we didn't we didn't have the speaker turned all the way up or anything like that. In fact, the for for people, I don't think you can see this quite in the video, but just so that people understand the drag queen show that was actually taking place was there was a whole field in between us and them. They were about 100 yards away. And so mm -hmm. we were not like we were not like right there, like completely disrupting their event. Yeah, they could hear us. You know, we had it. We had it turned up it was a powerful speaker but it was not turned up all the way and and in regards to a decibel level or that kind of thing that's when an officer would have to come over and say hey you have the right to free speech here and they wouldn't be able to take away that amplification but the most they could do is say it's an unreasonable unreasonable manner that you're doing it in and therefore you have to like turn down the the sound the decibel level um and, and that's that's literally the extent of what they could have done to um, restricts my free speech in that situation. But the approach, but the approach they took with you instead was, you can't have that because you don't have a permit. You can't be doing any amplification at all. Is that right? Right. Which is okay. funny because they didn't even ask me if I had a permit. They just come up and start grabbing the mic or, mic from mm. me. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So now here's where. Well, first of all, so so tell me about the arrest because it's not just that. Were you charged with? Um, Resisting arrest? I feel like I've heard that. Yeah, so I, I got two citations after they booked me at the station. Uh, amplification without a permit, or music amplification without a permit is the, the code. And then the second one was resisting arrest. Why did you so violently resist arrest? <laughs> well, I mean, if you see the video, there that's not even a... I asked the officer who handcuffed me why I was being charged with that. He said my muscles tensed up. And so apparently that is a cause to say that I resisted arrest. But if you watch the video too, there was no warning. They didn't tell me that I was going to be put under arrest. He just grabs my arm from behind, which I was focusing on the cop in front of me who was trying to take the microphone from me. So he just grabs me from behind and, and starts handcuffing me. If there was any tensing of muscles, it was like an initial knee jerk reaction. I didn't know who was grabbing me at first. And then I'm like, Oh, as soon as I realized I was under arrest, there was no resistance. Um, I walked along with them. I didn't, I didn't go limp. I didn't pull away. Nothing like that. So you're talking to the guy in front of you and then the guy behind you just grabs your hands and starts cuffing you. Right. Now I, now, you know, in our culture today, the, uh, there are a lot of people, uh, speaking out, um, critically of the police to say the least. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about the police in, in this situation? Do you, th do you, cause you know, I feel like some people could say, listen, man, uh, the, the police are just trying to do their job and they might not even really care about the ideological issues here. And now they got to deal with all of this. Uh, what, what do you, what's your reaction to that? Yeah. Um, I, I'm not going to say anything specific about those officers. Um, but you know, I, I will, I'll say a couple things in regards to that. First, the, an officer's job is to uphold the law the laws that are written. And so we had actually brought to their attention a law that is on the books that very specifically outlaws what the drag queens were doing with the kids that day. And they refused to uphold it. So instead of upholding the actual law that was actually being violated in the park that day, what they did was they arrested me and, and tried to stretch their codes as far as they could to try and see if, you know, they could 
charge me with violating them. Um, but in, in regards to the, the primary job of the officer is to uphold God's law and the Constitution. And so the idea that any and by the way, many of those officers profess to be Christians. I know some of them go to you know churches in the area. The, the purpose of an officer is to uphold justice in society. And justice is not defined by man's law. It's defined by God's law. And so if there is a law, hypothetically, that is unjust, then it is their job to uphold God's law and obey God rather than men. And so even if they want to make the case that there was um, no law against the drag queen story, hour, which there actually was, ironically, man's law actually even said them itself right there. I think it's 948.055 is the statute uh, for Wisconsin that very clearly says, you know, you cannot expose a, a minor under the age of 18 to sexually suggestive material. And it, it's a felony. And so they were doing this in an open park. The police saw this. And really, they, they've been failing their job as officers before God to take a stand for the children in our society, to take a stand for what the, the drag queens are doing to these children, to take a stand against this kind of evil. They failed to do that. And instead, um, they come for those who are in, in some small way attempting to do their job for them, defend these children, stand for justice, stand for truth and righteousness in the public square. Um, but also in, in regards to what exactly is the, the biggest fish to fry here, really, it's not those individual officers. It's the it's the city for allowing this event to happen. The organizers of this event, the mayor, the mayor allowed this event to take place in her city. I spoke before the mayor at that city council meeting, uh, which that video has been circulated around a bit, too. And so that mayor and that city council and uh, that, you know, the, the chief of police, th those people are the people that have allowed this event to even take place in the first place. And so it is, it's them that if they allow this event to continue to go on in the future, Watertown needs to stand up. It's, it's a uh, conservative community. They have a lot of Christian churches in the area, a massive uh, Christian Baptist university. It's their job to take a stand and say, you know, if, if you're not going to protect the children in our community, then you have no business being in office and we're going to replace you. That's why we have the system of government that we have so that when our officers, when our uh, mayor, when the city council is failing their job, we can say, look, you're failing your job. We need to replace you with somebody else. And so literally the only way that this drag queen event can go on next year, it is an annual event. So they did one last year. They did one this year, which I was arrested at. They plan to do one next year. The only way that this can continue to go on year after year is if the Christians in Watertown and the surrounding areas continue to remain silent. So according to what you're saying, um, according to what you're saying, then the the charges and the uh, the actual um, crime that you were supposed to admit, not crime. What's the what, what's the term for this? The infraction, whatever it is, is yeah. uh, is is bogus. And not only that, but there are laws already on the books that should prevent the sort of thing that you were there protesting that day. So uh, I want to come back. Marcus, to that issue of the kids being um, uh, people uh, sexualizing kids or how, however you want to say that, because I'd like to talk more about that in, in just a moment. But I wonder how would you I'm kind of venting to you some things that I think people might say and giving you a chance to respond that are critical. So <clears throat> a lot of people, I think, are saying, well, you know, this is a stunt. He was probably happy to be arrested. He gets to put another notch on his Christian belt. Uh, you know, th this was, this was theater. 
uh, what would you say back to people like that? Well, I mean, it obviously wasn't theater uh, because I didn't choose to get arrested. I'm not working in cahoots with the police force. I didn't ask them to arrest me. And as you see in the video, it was, you know, it was done against my will. So that, that wasn't something that I intentionally was trying to do. And I wasn't causing a ruckus. It wasn't like I was intentionally trying to get them to arrest me either. I wasn't causing a ruckus. I was just reading from a speaker, reading from Galatians 5. wasn't even reading a provocative passage, which I very well could have been. Um, you know, I was just reading from Galatians 5 about love. And so, you know, that, that's just completely unbased. They have no basis for making that claim. Um, in, in regards to being happy for it, the only way that you could say I was happy to get arrested um, is, is that, you know, Christians throughout all of history have have stood for Christ in such a way that persecution would come and others who hated them and hated the message that, were, that they were preaching would come for them and try to silence that message. And so the only way in which I found joy in actually being arrested that, way, that day was in the fact that I knew I was taking a stand for what was right. I was not being arrested for any unjust cause, but rather like the only reason I was being arrested was because they did not like the message and they wanted to continue to make sure that that drag queen show went on unharmed for that entire day uh, without, you know, anybody disturbing it in any way. There is something very satisfying when you know that what you're doing is the right thing and uh, other people aren't happy about it. It's, you're not, I'm not saying you're glad that they're not happy, but there's a satisfaction in knowing that, okay, people may be mad at me right now, but look, uh, this, is, this is what I have a conviction about, and I'm very confident that I'm right about this. Um, okay, so, so, uh, so they detain you. How long were you detained? I think I heard you say maybe an hour or something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. And did, were, were they nice to you while you were in there? How did that go? <laughs> yeah. So the officer who grabbed the mic for me, he was not nice to me at all. Um, neither was the one who handcuffed me. He was, he was even worse. Um, but, uh, the officer who took me over to the station and booked me and everything, he was a really friendly guy. Uh, we had a good talk on the way over there and, um, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, he, he was nice. Um, they didn't actually put me in a cell or anything. They just took me to the station um, took my mugshot, things like that, and then printed off my citations. Uh, so it was, it was about an hour. Um, but but I, I guess the effect of what they did is that drag show, that was the beginning of the dance hour that day. So they had been doing the event for like hours beforehand, but it was the beginning of that, that dance hour section. And the and kids so stay they, for the dance hour? Yep. Yep. The kids stay for the dance hour. Like they were doing it with the kid, it was like a kid's dance hour with the drag queens was what it was even advertised as. And so they were doing that for it. They had a couple more hours that they were going to be in the park doing this. And so effectively what they did was shut down the protests, shut down the voice on the other side uh, for the rest of that day. And in fact, even furthermore, what they've done is they, they still have my speaker right now. Um, so they, they're holding it in evidence, which... Um, you know, I've asked why they need evidence, why they need that for evidence. It's a speaker. If if you wanted to know, like if they wanted to prove in court, like, hey, maybe this was an extra loud speaker or something like that, or they wanted to know the specific type of speaker it was, they already had plenty of time to take that information. And when I was actually first arrested and took in, taken to the station, the officer that booked me told me that that following Monday, so like two days later, I would be free to go get the speaker and all the rest, like the microphone and all the stuff that went with it. Um, and he was like, anytime that week you want to come in, 
uh, you can come in and get it. Now, of course, what I didn't know, by the way, I wasn't the one who originally posted the video. I didn't, you know, try to get this on the news or anything like that. It, it was posted. It started to get circulated a lot on, I think, Instagram and TikTok were the original places and then got picked up on Twitter. Some big names uh, tweeted it and then it just started to go around. So by the time I went in later that week, I had no idea this was going to happen. But by that time, the video had pretty much gone viral at that point and they were receiving hundreds of phone calls angry phone calls. Like if you even go to their, the Watertown Police Department Facebook page, their last um, post, just a random post, has nothing to do with my arrest. It's just a post about, I think, police apparel that they're selling. I think it has 2.3 thousand comments on it, every single mm. one of them talking about me, talking about how they were acting unjustly, that they need to change the ways that they are acting, that they need to protect the children in the, com in the community, shut down this drag queen story hour and just calling them to repentance. And so uh, I, what I had heard rumored was that they had even disconnected their phone line, that they were receiving so many hundreds and um, thousands of calls and then letters and emails and things like that. So at this wow. point, all of this was going in. I go into the police station, I walk in and you know they told me that I couldn't have my speaker back, um, that they were still holding it in evidence. And so effectively what they've done is they silenced my right to free speech that day and you know, they're, they're taking away the, what I use for speaking at other events as uh, well. So they're, they're hindering my free speech at other events as well. Um, well, now that's, I wanted to come back to that, Marcus, because other events, one of the things that I think should be said that I've heard you say as I was preparing for this is if someone thinks that you heard this thing was going to be happening and you thought, oh man, this is my chance to become uh, right-wing famous or something, I'm going to go down there. That, that's not the state of affairs because you've done this at many events in the past or at least more than one, right? And uh, my understanding is it's not even just that you uh, that you wanted it. It's not like you just go after LGBT or drag events or things like that that are related to pride in any way. You you originally were, were going to uh, abortion rallies or clinics or whatever, right? Yes, yeah. I've been doing ministry in the public square and out on the streets for about four to five years now. Um, yeah, let's see, four years now. And so I've been doing this for a while. And, uh, you know, every time we go out, our, our goal is to you know preach the gospel. We pass out tracts. We speak at events like Drag Queen Story Hours, Pride events, things like that, where they're potentially perverting children or um, abortion clinics, things like that. We're also a, a second purpose is also to be some sort of public witness against that evil that's going on. You know, we we are going to stand against this as a community, um, as well as having the individual conversations. So we have conversations with people um, that go in and out of these events. We've I've had many good conversations with people. I I've even sat down with um, some of the the leaders of like some of these LGBTQ activist groups. I went out to dinner with one of them talked with them for like four hours. We had a great conversation and obviously we have very strong disagreements, but we were able to have a civil discussion and, you know, talk about our differences, talk about, you know, things we might even agree on. And so, you know, I've had those conversations and been out to event after event after event for years now. And so this was nothing new. I didn't just wake up uh, that morning and be like, I'm going to go get arrested and make myself famous. You know, as I right. mentioned, even after I was arrested, I was not expecting this to blow up in such a way because there have been other Christians that have been arrested for similar things. I think there was one just arrested in Indiana. It's on the, the story for that's on the Republic Sentinel. And a uh, crazy thing, if you watch that video, um, 
it's really hard not to have some sort of, I guess, righteous anger against the, the police force there because, you know, he's just asking the officer for what code uh, requires that he couldn't be at that park. And he was just, all he was doing, he wasn't preaching. He was just passing on gospel tracts. Officer clearly didn't like what he was doing, just grabs him, arrests him, um, and, and takes him to jail and whatnot. So, so you know, this isn't something terribly uncommon, especially in places like the UK and Canada. You know, this happens all the time. And so I was not expecting this to blow up. I was not going out there for fame. I was just going there like I've done countless times before. And, you know, we plan to do countless times in the future. To, and and to, I think you said that in the past you've had interactions with police at these sorts of things. And it's always been kind of cool. They'll just be like, hey, go over there. And that's what you thought was happening this time, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Most of the time they'll come over and they'll be like, hey, you know, you can't use if at, if at any time they have any problem with the amplification. Typically, it's like, hey, you can't use that in this specific spot. Um, because there's that amp amplification code, which then we ask to talk to their sergeant or supervisor, and then uh, they'll come out. I don't think I've had a single time where the supervisor comes out and says that we can't continue because they know the law and they know that that law can't apply to that specific situation. And so uh, almost every single time they've allowed us to continue. And at the very most, it's, hey, turn the speaker down a little bit so it matches such and such decibel level is the most they can do to restrict it. And so, you know, that... That is what we've expected before. I've never expected to get arrested for that, um, you know, because dozens upon dozens, if not hundreds of times, we've had those interactions and they've um, almost always been friendly. And the only times it hasn't been friendly is when the police themselves are not making it friendly because they clearly have their own personal bias. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, have any LGBT uh, activists or, or people who are in that community shown support for you in any way in the midst of this? Um, no, not, not in my situation. I I've had, I've had a couple good conversations with them, um, that were pretty civil and cordial and essentially what they were like, well, we don't really know what went on with that situation. So we're not going to comment. Um, right. I haven't had any support. Yeah. Well, obviously, uh, you, know, you and I are Christians and our faith motivates things like this very strongly when they happen. But do you think people who don't share your faith or political party have reasons to agree that this sort of thing should stop in our communities? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like you had mentioned, I think at the beginning of the podcast is like as we go out to fight these culture wars, a lot of times, you know, we'll be working across denominations and then even with people who aren't Christians. And so I think to a certain extent, um, there is an idea amongst Christians that like, okay, they don't have the gospel. The gospel is the power of salvation, and it's the power that's going to transform individuals and, and, and transform communities and families and governments and nations. And so that's the power. That's the solution that fixes this. And so there are some Christians who might be a little bit more wary of partnering up with other groups. My, my stance is, I mean, if you think about it this way. I think I've heard it put this way before. If if a atheist or a Muslim finds out that your child was just abducted and they want to help you save your child, you're not going to worry about whether or not they're a Christian. And so I think there is a certain level where if we're trying to protect other children, like preborn babies in the womb or you know children at these drag events, we do have a certain level where if they're going to help us save these children, if, if we would partner with them to save our own children, then why not mm -hmm. to save 
other people's children as well. Uh, the the danger with that is once you try to compromise in order to bring them on board. So as long as you're standing firm to your faith, to principles found in scripture, and you're not compromising to bring them on board, as long as they're comfortable joining you with the mission, um, that's okay. But the Christians should be the ones leading in this because we are the ones with the solution, with the gospel. The gospel is what, you know, turns people from hearts of darkness, turns them from the sin uh, towards Christ. And so that that's what needs mm-hmm. to be preached in these places. Well, amen. And I love the passion you have to preach the gospel, man. I was pastoring my first church when I was 20 years old, probably too young to be pastoring, but I don't think I hurt anybody. But um, but I, I love that passion and I'm glad you're doing what you're doing now. Let's get to this thing about. So for anybody that's listening uh, that that heard the message that it was just this noise ordinance situation. Now think about what you have in front of you. What you have in front of you is. Um, no, he didn't. He wasn't guilty of the things that were alleged against him. Uh, he was trying to be complicit and, and he does this all the time. He interacts with police quite regularly uh, at these sorts of things. And not only was he uh, innocent of all these things, but according to his testimony of what he and others saw there that day, uh, the event that he was protesting actually was in violation of laws that were on the books. Um, so he, so here's where we get to that. So in order for that to make sense, um, there's going to be a lot of things that you and I as Christians are going to object to that may or may not technically be illegal. And of course we still preach the truth anyway, you know, but in terms of looking at what the law says here, um, we, we, you, you, you're saying that these kids were being in some sense, I don't know the word you used sexualized or they're viewing what could be classed as adult entertainment or something like that. Could we say that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we, okay. there's actually footage of what they were doing. I think it's quite plain to the public. Oh, eye. okay. You've got, there is footage of the dance portion of this or something? Yep, yep. Well, the, the question I have is, you said lingerie. You said there was men wearing lingerie. What I got on Twitter from some people that are um, uh, either not, the, not as conservative as a Christian as I am or not Christians or are liberal atheists, uh, said things like, um, you know, trying to point out the drag is not inherently, this is like a, a right wing conservative idea that drag is inherently sexual or adult entertainment. And they, they might suggest things like, well, in the old Looney Tunes cartoons, which I I don't know if you've ever seen Looney Tunes, but in the old Looney Tunes cartoons with Bugs Bunny, uh, you know, often Bugs Bunny might, might, uh, you know, find himself, dressed as a hula girl or something, or, uh, the three stooges might, uh, be wearing, uh, clothing like a woman to sneak in somewhere or something. It's comedy and all of that. Uh, but yet here, so isn't it, or is it the case that drag can be divorced from sexuality, obviously sexuality in the sense of, uh, of cross-dressing. I mean, there, there's, there's, there's a sexual there's sexuality involved in that in the sense that a man who is a man is dressing as a woman but in terms of sexual provocation uh it's just it's just a it's just a it's just a form of entertainment people will say um now here's what i want to ask you number one what do you think about that just in general but number two i want to ask you in terms of what you saw that day when you say lingerie and when you say they danced suggestively or provocatively um, uh, are you telling me that this is the sort of thing that, uh, you would expect, let's say 15 years ago, parents wouldn't let their kids watch because it was too suggestive. 
handle that mm. ball of questions. Right. Yeah. Obviously, when they bring up those cartoons, what those were meant for, like if a like like they the the Three Stooges dress as girls for like you know comedy. It was meant for comedy. You know, none of the kid. This isn't comedy. The drag queens aren't there to make people laugh at them. And if if you were to start laughing at the drag queen, um, you would probably be labeled as a bigot. You know that that is. That is off limit. This is not a comedy show. This is something completely different than, you know, for a cartoon trying to get kids to laugh because they dress the other gender. Um, completely, completely different. Also, if you watch the videos, like I said, you know, it's very plain as they were doing this, um, gyrating in front of little children. Like I, I was at a, a another drag queen event story hour, but you know, for some reason at these story hours, they they love to do dances with the kids. Um, which should tell you something. And I've got on video, the this drag queen looks like a woman for the most part, but has a full beard and is dancing in an extremely short skirt. You can see his underwear and he's like, he's literally like spreading his legs in front of like this four-year-old little boy and just like bouncing up and down in front of him into the to this music and going around and doing these kinds of dances right here in a public library with police standing by so it was some something like the same kind of thing uh, happened at watertown it's the same kind of thing that happens in all of these events um a few years ago uh they weren't quite open about it you know a lot of times when i go to these events it was a, a legit story hour they were sitting there reading kids story hours and that's where people would say hey look it's just story time um don't try to kill their fun uh, this isn't sexual and at that point so so first of all in regards to it's not sexual my argument right now is just look at what they're doing but even if you want to point to maybe events that they were doing a few years ago or or maybe if there are still some events where they don't do dances and things like that and you know they're just reading stories and that, that's so innocent what i ask people is so why is this inherently related to pride and why is it all with rainbow pride flakes because the LGBTQ movement, it's this is a part of the LGBTQ community that puts on these events with rainbow pride flags and, and the drag queens are wearing pride um, colors and all the kids are going in with pride flags and, you know, with like little uh, kids, you know, tattoos with like um, pride colors and, and gay slogans and things like that. If it's not sexual, then why is there that close association with this movement, which the acronym of LGBTQ is lesbian, gay, bisexual. These are all things that are inherent to someone's sexual preferences and desires and what they want to do sexually. So this is something that's inherently sexual. So so if there if this is true, that this isn't a sexual sexualized event, then why is it being done as an LGBTQ plus event, which the every single acronym in the LGBTQ plus, except you could argue maybe not the trans one is, is just about sexuality. It's all about sex. Now, let me ask you this uh, back, back to the, uh, issue of the, you know, the differences between well, the, the protesters versus the people involved in the event. If you, if you, if your church, let's say, or, um, founders ministry, uh, let's say that that school really explodes like we hope. And then, and then that they put on an event like that, perhaps in that same park and you're preaching up there and some other guys are, and, uh, there are some of these same, uh, drag Queens out there on the sidewalk or wherever you are, and they were doing the same thing with the same speaker, would you 
obviously you would still say, look, we, we're going to preach against this lifestyle. We're going to preach against blah, blah, blah. But would you, would you at least say, but I'm granting that they are exercising an American right to protest in the appropriate place. Would you be willing to say that? Yeah, absolutely. If they were there, um, they'd have every right to speak there. And in fact, um, the officer who stole the mic from me, once he took me um, to the police tent they had on the park, uh, he actually brought that up to me. He was like, if, if you were hosting an event, uh, you wouldn't want them protesting you. And, you know, he was making that argument. I told him, and as I tell, tell you too, actually, if they did that, my response would most likely, I'd probably go over there and have a conversation with them and say, hey, that's, you know, and I have no problem. I want to try to get them to leave. I want to try to tell them that they couldn't be there. Like, you're totally welcome to come protest if you want. But, you know, let's, let's have a conversation about our differences. And I would, I would engage them in conversation and actually um, be open to allowing them. In, in fact, one thing that my pastor has done, um, the associate pastor at my church, uh, Jason Storms, he's the one recording that video. He's also the national director of Operation Save America. And so we have big pro-life rallies that we'll do in different states and, and big things like that. And we, we've gotten protesters. We've gotten, um, you know, there's actually a group of protesters. Their only like job is to follow us around. They call themselves the Jezebel Rebellion Group. Um, you know, they switch their name from time to time, but I, I think that's the latest one they had. And what he did is he actually welcomed them up on stage and said, make a presentation for your arg your argument. Say whatever you want. Why are you here? He gave them the mic and wow. then he would go back and forth with them and say, let's have that discussion. And he would just actually, he didn't, I don't even think he made um, much of an argument for our side. All he was doing was asking them questions, asking them critical questions. Why do you believe? And so we are more than like it, when we've had protesters, we've had protesters who are much more hostile than anything we were doing that day. Um, who have, who have been extremely hostile to events that we've put on, we will welcome them, uh, welcome them up on stage, even give them the mic and say, if you have a cohesive argument to put together, that's here. And typically they don't want to have that conversation because most of their arguments are built upon emotional rhetoric and they don't even have um, that, that one time that my pastor had that guy up on, or I think it was a lady had her up on, on stage and asked her some of those things. Uh, she essentially came down to saying, that she doesn't know, uh, she didn't really know how to respond to that, that she'd have to think about it. And then I'm um, another lady that he gave the mic to, she was like, I'm just here for fun. Uh, you know, I don't like, I don't have any good arguments to present. I'm just here for fun. And so, you know, a lot of times- But you gave the, him a shot. Right, right. So, but we, we are open. If they want to, they can come on our podcast. They can come up on stage with us. They can, whatever, you know, we, we're, more than we're more than welcoming to them to allow them to present their viewpoint. You know, I remember uh, when I was pastoring and, and when I was in kind of full-time evangelism, traveling and preaching, we would go to the Southern Baptist Convention's annual meeting every year. And my dad was a pastor, so I've, I've been going to the Southern Baptist Convention until recent years. I was going all my life, nine months before I was born. And uh, somewhere around the early 2010s, uh, there were uh, protesters, there were LGBT protesters across the street from the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, whenever it was in town somewhere. And I remember 
despite all the all the signage and everything that indicated the hatred that we had for them, which which we don't, obviously, as you know, uh, there were Southern Baptist pastors going across the street, taking them bottles of water. And here's some chicken sandwiches. We probably we promise not from Chick-fil-A, you know, all that kind of thing. And uh, it was just beautiful to see that. I, I love it when that sort of thing is the response to those kind of protests. Um, OK, so, well, let me ask you this. So you uh, so we. You and I know, I keep, I keep prefacing this, you and I know that Scripture uh, presents the same God in the Old Testament as the God of the New Testament. People often think, oh, the God of the Old Testament is this cosmic bully, and the God in the New Testament is Jesus walking around with long hair and sandals like a hippie talking about peace and love. Well, Jesus certainly had a lot to say about peace and love, and of course God was a God of love in the Old Testament as well. It says so in Deuteronomy that he loves his people. But in the New Testament, uh, we also see a God of justice. We see... Ananias and Sapphira uh, early in Acts who uh, lie to the Holy Spirit. And as, re- as a result, they're struck down. And so uh, there is a balance. God is a God of love. But if he's a God of love, he will be a God of justice. And uh, looking at all of that, with all that in mind, people do still have this idea of Jesus as just being cool with everything. And uh, come as you are, stay as you are, right? So, do, But do you think that Jesus... Um, if you could hear verbally from him on this, like right now, would, do you think he would support this sort of activity that you're doing? Yes. I think it was the kind of activity that the apostles did in the book of Acts. It was the kind of activity Jesus did himself. Um, when he confronted the leaders in, in his community, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the members of the Sanhedrin, and, and people like to talk about, um, how Jesus didn't get political. So we shouldn't get political and, and they'll make those kinds of arguments. You know, that wasn't Jesus' mission. Jesus was actually very political in his ministry. Um, the, the reason why, if you, if you actually understand the history of it, Rome, when they would conquer a nation, would allow a nation to govern themselves. And they would have their own governing body as long as they continue to pay taxes to Caesar. And so Israel had their own governing body that was not associated with Rome as long as they paid taxes. And that governing body of Israel was the Sanhedrin. And the, the primary object of Jesus's ministry was aimed at members of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and um, other members. And he was the one who was rebuking them for their unjust laws that they had put up upon the Isra- Israelite uh, people. Um, you know, he was the one that actually practiced uh, civil disobedience against some of their laws when when they were taking scripture and twisting it to, you know, say that like you couldn't pick heads of grain on the Sabbath, you know, him and his disciples would go and pick heads of grain on the Sabbath and eat it. And they're like, what are you doing? You're breaking the law. And that's when he says, you know, the famous quote, man is not made for Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. And so he, he was the one who challenged those kinds of things. And he was not crucified simply because everybody loved him. He wasn't, he wasn't just a hippie walking around talking about peace and love. And if he was, he wouldn't have been crucified. They would have been okay. Like, you know, there, there was a lot more to the story than that. Um, as, as well as the, the early apostles, they were, the early apostles were, um, put to death and persecuted because they were coming into places and the accusation against them in Acts 17 was that those who have turned the entire world upside down have come here also. And they're, they're declaring that there's another King, one called Jesus. And so they were the ones kind of saying, Hey, Jesus is the one who has authority over every realm of life. You are required to obey him. And that's the message that people don't like. Do, do you want to be a pastor? Yes. Yeah. 
Um, what, you know, what would you say if someone like, let's say an aunt or an uncle, I don't know who your aunts and uncles are, but let's say a, a Christian aunt or uncle comes to you and says, uh, you know, at Thanksgiving dinner, Hey Marcus, man, um, I just want to tell you, you, I know you're saying you want to be a pastor and boy, we're all sure proud of the stands that you're taking and how God's working in your life. But man, if you end up not being a pastor one day and needing to look for secular employment, Man, these arrests and things like this, they're not going to look good. They're going to look the opposite. They could stand in your way. How would you respond to that? I'd respond by saying the apostles and Christians who came before me faced death for taking a stand for Christ. And so if all I face is that I might not get a job at the place I want to get a job at, then um, either, you know, I'm, I'm doing something wrong. I need to be even more faithful to Christ because, um, you know, Christians before I face much more, or I'm a coward if that's what's going to deter me. Because if we if we've truly died to Christ as Christians, I think part of the problem with American Christianity is we've twisted the gospel in such a way that we've made it an individualistic message of how to get your sins forgiven and go to heaven one day, which obviously is part of the gospel. But the the way that we do that is you know you repeat this prayer and now you kind of got your ticket punched uh, for for that that train ride to heaven. And, and that's our mindset about it. When the message Jesus was preaching is, if you want to inherit eternal life, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you must pick up your cross, deny yourself daily, and follow me. It was a coming to die so that you may live again in Christ. Putting to death the old man, cruci crucifying the old man is what Christianity is all about. Um, Paul saying, you know, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so if we truly start to have that mindset about the gospel and about our Christianity and our faith, then we've truly died to ourselves and our selfish desires and all the things that we want in this life. And we're truly living our life for Christ, completely surrendered to him. Then someone threatening us with losing our job, losing our family, losing even our very own lives isn't going to affect us because we know that Christ is the one in control of that. And so we are not called to be Christians only when the path is easy. We're called to take a stand as Christians, even when we have those threats and those persecutions coming. You know, there are so many people who won't share their faith as Christians or won't share it very often. And the reason is because it would be awkward. And I think about what you just said, and I think about all the people in the history of the church that had to endure far more than awkwardness so that I could have this text in my lap. And so uh, I should at least be willing to face some awkwardness. I've never been arrested. You've, you've experienced more than me in that regard. The least the rest of us can do is share our faith with those around us and confront the culture with the word of God. How old are you, Marcus? I'm 19. 19. <laughs> wow. Man, I just can't even imagine what God's going to do with you in the future. This has just been fantastic. Is there anything, Marcus, that you want to say uh, that, that hasn't been said or what you might say to inspire uh, other young men to uh, go against the cultural push and take a stand for the Lord in a way that might seem uh, surprising to everybody else. Is how, how would you leave us today? Yeah, I've seen many people reach out to me and say that, you know, I've inspired them. The story has inspired them. And that's really encouraging to me, um, you know, for those who have been inspired to the, by this, I would just say that if you if you want to get engaged, you want to start doing things, uh, what this kind of ministry requires is you just being faithful. Go out there, find find an event in your area, find a place for you to preach the gospel, 
go out there, start preaching the gospel, pass out tracts, have these conversations. And a lot of times you're not going to see fruit right away. And it's not something where you're going to go out there and, and, and see instant results. And because we live in such a culture that's always ready at the click of a button to get what we want and the desires that we want, uh, we, we aren't the kind of people anymore to put in hard work in order to see results years down the future. But, but preaching the gospel and doing this kind of ministry is like farming. You don't expect to reap a harvest the first time you plant seeds. You first have to till the ground. You have to do the hard work of preparing the soil. You plant the seeds. You make sure that the seeds are, that everything's fertilized. You have to weed, like take care of the weeds, get rid of the weeds. And you have to care for it. You have to make sure animals don't eat it. You have to uh, care for the crop for months. And then you have to reap the harvest. And so that, that hard work has to be put in. And also something scripture tells us is a lot of times we will be the ones who plant the seeds and we won't be the ones who get to reap the harvest. One will plant and another will reap the harvest. And one will reap the harvest even though he wasn't the one who planted the seeds. And so, um, you know, don't grow dis discouraged in doing good because Christ is the one who blesses our work. And uh, for young men and young Christians, We've been given an extremely low standard in our culture, an uh, extremely low standard for us to live up to. And so it, it's time for us to live up to something more. We weren't just made uh, for video games and, and for you know sitting at home, just living through mundane life. Uh, young men have a desire and a passion and a drive to fight and to conquer the world and, and to be engaged in some sort of greater cause in themselves. And many times in our culture, we've, we've built a culture that is literally designed to pacify young men. We have video games that pacify those desires. We have pornography that pacifies that desire to pursue relationships. We have, um, you know, just anything we want at the click of a button where all of a sudden we get that dopamine rush without having to actually put any work into it. We don't actually have to engage in any real warfare. We have movies that we can just sit down and enjoy somebody else. Uh, engaging in that kind of fight while we just stay at home and, and don't do anything ourselves. And so it's time for us to actually engage in real warfare. We are living in the midst of a spiritual warfare. It's time for us to actually reap the rewards that come from uh, putting in that hard work because those other things will never satisfy. They're never going to... Um, and think, think about the verse, you know, don't put your treasures on things in this earth, but lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven. Those things are not the things that are going to lay up treasures for yourself in heaven, but actually doing the real work of going out there, getting married, starting a family, discipling and raising children, uh, you know, discipling your family in such a way that you take them out on the battlefield with you. You're literally raising an army of young warriors for Christ. And so taking them out on the battlefield with you, that's the kind of work that is actually going to reap um, real rewards and reap real effects and actually do something to uh, advance the kingdom of Christ in a real way, not only in this life, but also in the life to come. And so that, that's that's the message I would like to share with young yeah, people. Yeah, and, and for anyone that doesn't like the, uh, the, the warfare type language, that is what we see in scripture, but it's not referring to, as you said, it's referring to a spiritual uh, battle. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and darkness of this world. And so as a result, we, uh, we are people who uh, do battle, quote unquote, by reading the Bible on the street or talking to someone who has questions about their faith or sharing what God's done in our own lives. And I'm excited uh, about watching you and seeing what God's going to do in your life, Marcus. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. 
And folks, um, for the rest of you, we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.